Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, Graceland Church. How's everybody doing? It's good to have you in the house. That was a beautiful original from Rochelle, and last week, Rochelle got engaged. So congrats are in order. We're celebrating with you. In first service, I said, she really seemed like she was extra on fire today, and like there's something happening. She's walking on the clouds. We're so happy for you. Um, this past week, I had another short week of travel. I was in Dallas for two days with about 18 pastors and four missionaries from Africa, including the gentleman who, for the Assemblies of God, oversees the work on the whole continent of Africa. And the whole point of the meetings uh, was to prayerfully think through and brainstorm how to mobilize more missionaries to Africa. Their vision statement is to have a healthy church within walking distance of every African, which is a beautiful vision. And there are entire people groups in Africa that are completely unreached by the gospel. And we engage in that work. At some point, we'll send teams and go, I've been over there, but we engage through missionaries that we send. I was struck again in these meetings of how incredible it is uh, that the spirit of God is at work all over the world working through his church. And it's the church of Jesus Christ in every continent. It looks really different on different continents, but it's the Spirit of God moving through His church, of which we're a part. And I find myself incredibly grateful this morning just to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and specifically a part of this church family. We articulate our vision here, you can see it on the screen, as a diverse and enduring church focused on the mission of God and building a land of grace. And probably my favorite part about this vision statement is that middle line because it's beautiful to be a diverse and enduring church and to grow healthy and strong as a church. It's beautiful to build a land of grace and think about what we're gonna do with the land we have and being a place that's for the good of the city. But what do we actually do while we are a land of grace? What do we actually do as we become a diverse and enduring church? We participate in the mission of God. We're a missions organization. That's what the church is. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. And missions doesn't mean everybody has to like go over to Africa per se, but we're all called and sent ones of God. So we focus on his mission. And I believe he honors our heart. And that's why we're seeing beautiful work of God in our midst on a regular basis. I'm thankful for the healthy growth that we're seeing here at Graceland Church. Healthy is the critical word there because you know, we've seen our finances grow, and I'm so thankful for that, but making budget doesn't necessarily mean you're making disciples, yeah. right? So growth financially alone doesn't indicate healthy growth, but we are actually seeing disciples made, so it's healthy growth. You tracking with me? And this service sometimes gets very full, and we have a first service that's growing, but having rooms that are filling up doesn't mean we're necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So we don't want to just measure the wrong things, but I'm thankful that at Graceland Church, we're seeing people really filled with the Holy Spirit. So healthy growth is what we're after. Who's tracking with me on that? We're seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives, doing things that we cannot do, right? You can't preach a sermon to make these kind of things happen. You can't will it into existence. It's the work of God among his church, new and renewed followers of Jesus, restored families, literally people activated and sent into what their calling is. We 
We have people signing up for baptisms right now. So if anyone's interested, we have our next water baptisms. We do them right there. We'll have them on Sunday, April 24th, the Sunday right after Easter. We have baby dedications coming up on March 27th. We always just figure we're going to grow the church one way or another. I had my four babies. Now it's your turn. Let's keep growing this church. Let's get some grandbabies coming out. And just joking, obviously. But I'm so thankful for all the babies in the life of our church. And I love getting to do baby dedications. If you'd like to do that for a baby or child that's not been dedicated, let me know. And we can chat with you about that. Our church is growing more and more into a generous church that responds to the promptings of God's spirit with our resources. We, we took this offering for a missionary on the ground in Ukraine that we have a direct uh, contact with, and he is chosen to stay in the country and is providing food and Bibles, and we have a way to get money immediately to him. And our offering's over 8,000 now, which is amazing because money keeps coming in. Anyone can still give to that, by the way. Any of our giving platforms, just put the word Ukraine in there, and 100% of that will go right away. One of the things we're going to start doing because of the how the size is growing. I'm just sharing a few highlights before I dive into the message. Sometimes our second service, uh, if people walk in even just a little bit late, you may have had this experience before, it can feel like it's absolutely packed because the back is very full, but there's still some room in the front. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's not to like throw shade on anybody in the back there. We love you very much. Um, all seats are open game, but it's harder for people to come sit up in the front, especially for new people that might be showing up a little late. Another pinch point we're having is with our parking. So you'll notice I generally park out on the driveway and a number of cars follow me. People are up on the grass. And there's a simple uh, thing we're gonna start talking about a lot, which is park far, sit close. And what we would encourage you uh, that call Graceland Church home to gradually do, and this does not mean we're gonna judge those who sit in the back row. Some people just have to. And we're never gonna force anyone to do anything. It's a no judgment zone. But who anybody who's willing to do this and able uh, it's helpful to have you park far, so don't even park in the main part of the parking lot, because we have seen people, we have seen cars come in and just leave, which is the last thing we ever want to do, because if they don't feel like there's an easy spot for them, especially if you got your towing along kids or something like that, so park far away, you can park anywhere along our driveway, anywhere down on the grass, it's open, and, uh, and then sit close if you can, and this is just helping us foster uh, healthy growth. We're not at the place yet where we're, where we're going to have ushers like literally take your hand and walk you to the front row. We're not going to do that, but we want to encourage it um, just to help us out. Last thing we want to happen is for someone that is finally showing up to church for the first time in a long time in their life, or maybe the first time ever, and it took a lot of courage to show up. We do not want them walking into this service and feel like they don't have a seat. Anybody? That was a really weak amen for that. We do not want someone showing up and feeling like there is not a seat. Um, we have seen people, and we know this in human nature, sometimes people will walk right in and feel overwhelmed and walk right out. So what we wanna do is have seats that look available in the back. And the only way to do that is to gradually lean forward for the regulars. Sorry for that mini sermon. Um, we are celebrating a, a couple dozen, I don't know the exact number, but just in the last three months, a couple dozen new church members, just in these couple months, new people serving on teams, engaging, using their gifts, we're, we're observing Lent right now. By show of hands, how many of you guys are familiar with Lent and are kind of observing that in some way? I know for some traditions, they're more used to it. Other traditions, they're not. I really like some of the church calendar practices. It's a season of 40 days leading up to Easter, and we're in it right now. And it's a chance to just reflect deeply on what God's doing in your life and bring your heart before him in fresh ways and to build anticipation for the resurrection party on Easter 
Sunday. And one of the things that happens to me as I prayerfully lead up to Easter is God starts putting people on my mind and heart that are in my life that I should be inviting into the church family. Anybody ever have that happen? He immediately causes us to think about our neighbors, our coworkers, our loved ones, or even our enemies and invite them. And inviting someone to the church family is not just inviting to a service, though that's good. It's inviting them into your world. He's saying, hey, c- come on into my life. Here's, here's what it would look like. And then Easter is a great first Sunday to invite someone to. So I just want to throw the challenge out for the sake of the people in our area that the Lord loves and cares about for you to be prayerfully thinking who you're going to invite, who you're inviting into your world and to our Easter Sunday services. One of the women that I know I'm going to be inviting, who I've invited before, uh, who we've invited into our lives, I'm not going to say who it is right now, but she's a neighbor, and she's a wonderful woman, and one of the things we've bonded over is a love for music. Any big music fans in the house? I know we got some. True music fans are different than just people who kind of like music, right? Some people say they're a true music fan, but most people like music. Not a lot of people are true music fans, and they, they're passionate about a genre or artists or bands. Like, we are brokenhearted, us music fans, that now all artists do is release singles because you don't get the beauty of the album anymore. Anybody with me? Feeling that heartbreak? I am going to preach scripture here in a minute. Don't worry. I'm not just pushing become a music fan. But, you know, it's interesting. True music fans, I've noticed this, and I'm the same. You might have an artist that you have loved for years and years and years that span decades. Chances are, even if they're your favorite band or favorite artist, they've done an album or a song that you really disliked and wished was not in their catalog. Anybody? Like, why did you have to get that experimental? What are you thinking? And you just kind of reject that. And one silly example, any Beatles fans? My dad grew up on the Beatles, so I kind of grew up on the Beatles. And they're an amazing group, great songwriters. And Rochelle just happened to be wearing a Beatles shirt today. That was unplanned. Um, but they also did this song called Yellow Submarine. And I'm not, I don't want to throw too much hate on Yellow Submarine, but if I'm trying to tell people about how good the Beatles are, I don't want their first song to be Yellow Submarine, right? So it's fine that it's in the catalog, but I kind of wish it wasn't there. And this is a silly way of setting up a really important point. A lot of us, in our approach of Scripture... We treat God's words like we treat artists, meaning we pick and choose what we like and we pick and choose what we want to avoid or ignore within the scope of Scripture. And the truth is, if we really are going to be wholehearted followers of Jesus, we have to approach him and embrace all of his teaching and everything that he is saying to us. And it's a segue into what we're talking about today, which is titled, Hard Words of Jesus. It's a particular text. A few of these verses, most preachers would not preach too often or on a regular basis unless you're going through verse by verse like this, which is why I like to go through verse by verse like this because it forces you in to certain texts that are hard teachings. It's those moments of the Bible where you're thinking, God, I thought you're trying to get people to follow you more, not push them away. Anybody tracking with me? So the hard words of Jesus, it's in this series called Believe, Study Through the Entire Gospel of John. Let me set up the context, and we're going to read a lot of verses. They'll be on screen, but let's try to put ourselves in the story and really kind of contextualize this. This is the day after Jesus fed 5,000 people with a miracle, and it was actually more, than 50, more like fifteen to 20,000 people. He miraculously multiplied one boy's lunch 
Then uh, Jesus walked on the water that night on the Sea of Galilee. Peter walked on the water. They ended up in Capernaum. Then the crowds realized Jesus was gone, so they got in boats and went and found him in Capernaum. Then they said, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Jesus confronted them and said, hey, you're, you're just seeking me because I fed you. You're looking for more food. And he said, I am actually the bread of life. And they start getting offended and grumbling. And that's where we pick up in verse 41. Let's read. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up the last day. It is written in the prophets They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him, learns from him, comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. So, Lord, would you just help us as we spend time in your presence and at your feet, listening to your teaching. 
Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Give us understanding through your word that leads to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Jewish leaders were already grumbling when Jesus just said, I am the bread of life. Because they said, we know this guy. This is literally the son of Joseph and Mary. They were familiar with him. And therefore, they thought the claim was outrageous. How could he possibly say he came down from heaven and is now the bread of life? It's like they were okay with the miracle and the crowds and maybe even walking on water. But this claim is taking it too far. And they're basically accusing him. They're even beginning the tone of mockery. And you'll notice in these next few chapters of John, as we just slowly walk through it, they deal with the same question. Who is Jesus? And we have to read it from the perspective of people actually living then. Many of us have already established in our hearts and minds, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God and we put our faith in him. But you've got to backtrack and understand that this is causing upheaval in this culture. This is threatening the entire system. And there are chapters throughout the middle of John and the stakes get higher and higher as they wrestle with who is Jesus. And the questioning and grumbling turns to mockery and accusing and eventually crucifixion, as we know in the story. And this kind of tone is beginning. And look at Jesus' response in verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, he answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So he's just responding with truth. He's not allowing himself to get worked up by their accusations or by things possibly not going the way he would like them to go because no one likes being grumbled against. Who here loves it when you are misunderstood and grumbled against? It's the worst thing. I would, I would submit that one of the worst feelings in our life is when you are deeply misunderstood, when someone accuses you of like an injustice or something like that, that you don't believe you have represented or is in your heart at all, and now you are misrepresented, accused of something, and people are angry at you for something that is untrue. That's what's going on here. Think about how you generally respond in moments like that. Yet we see Jesus simply responding with the truth that it's his father only that can draw people anyway. And I love this principle, number one in your notes, our grumbling and doubting never change the truth. This is really good news. The truth is bigger than us and our frustrations and our doubts and our failures. The truth is not fragile. The truth marches on all on its own. You know why? It's true. The truth is not crumbled by culture. Culture will say, Many, many, many things that are absolutely opposed to the truth, but the truth is not threatened by that. You know why? Because it's true. And so Jesus models something incredibly important for us, I believe, right here in this moment. Jesus was at peace because he knew the Father was working, and we can be too. This is like a side note in this sermon. It's not going to be the heart of what we talk about, but I think it's important for us as Christians. Yes, we stand for truth. We speak the truth in love. We don't shrink back from truth, but we are not threatened by a culture that disregards the truth. You know how long that's been going on? Forever. We're not terrified by a culture that disregards the truth because the truth is the truth. 
We don't have to get all up in a tizzy because the culture is promoting lies. We can be like Jesus and respond in peace and non-defensively because you know what we know? Our Father is still at work. He will draw people to himself. The Holy Spirit will guide people into all truth. And of course, I'm not condoning the twisting of the truth that our culture is doing, but I'm pastoring the people of God and saying, don't get worked up into a like a, a, a froth of defensiveness and fear and anger and rage. Anybody tracking with this? Jesus models for us that we can be at peace in the middle of accusations, in the middle of being misunderstood. And he goes on to explain, it's written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me, Jesus says. No one has seen the Father except for the one who's from God. And very truly, I tell you, and he reiterates the whole theme of the book here, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And then he contextualizes his message here. He's speaking to the Jewish people, and he says, your ancestors, the Israelites of old, they ate the manna in the wilderness. And let me just remind you, that was a profound miracle. The people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and were provided for miraculously with manna from heaven, and it's what kept them alive. And Jesus is not necessarily minimizing that, but he's saying, yet they died. But here, he says, is the bread that comes down from heaven, myself, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And this is where he starts saying things where I imagine his disciples who are like trying to run his PR are being like, calm it down, Jesus. We don't need to talk about eating flesh. I would certainly be thinking that. Look how the Jews responded. They began to argue sharply. This is anger. This is disagreement. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is causing a ruckus, understandably. And then Jesus takes it fully home. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then he makes it very personal, and he just says it as plain as day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. He then reiterates down in verse 58, this is the bread that came from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna, they died. In other words, it wasn't enough but whoever feeds on this bread, on me, will live forever. He said that in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, what Jesus said here, and which we still read today, included in the scripture, has been deeply misunderstood by many historically, and I believe is misunderstood by many today. Some have actually interpreted these words of Jesus as supposed to be literal and therefore promoting cannibalism. And there have been people that have done that. Others, uh, the, the Catholic Church, and I love my, I have a lot of Catholic brothers and sisters, and this is not throwing shade on the Catholic Church at all. I disagree with this particular thing that they teach, but they believe in something called transubstantiation, which means that when you take communion, which we do here at Graceland Church, because Jesus commanded us to take communion, and we're remembering his flesh and his blood. The Catholic Church believes that 
when you eat the bread, as soon as it goes into your mouth, it literally becomes the body of Jesus. And when you drink the juice or the wine, as soon as it goes into your mouth, it literally becomes the blood of Jesus. I think that's a misunderstanding of this text. Martin Luther in the Reformation age uh, brought a little bit more clarification. He said he believed Jesus was mystically present in the communion elements. But I believe the text that we just read answers the question for us. And so I'm just going to drop down to verse 63 for a second. It'll be on screen. Look at what he says, plain as day. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are what? They're full of the spirit. And when you interpret that in the context of scripture, it is abundantly clear that Jesus is explaining that he's talking to them about spiritual things, not literal things. And the communion elements, which we still celebrate today, are representative of his sacrifice on the cross and serve to remind us that receiving Christ is not casual, but costly. And that's number three in your notes. This brutal death actually happened. This breaking of the flesh, this shedding of the blood. And not just that, this carrying of all the sin, shame, and guilt, and darkness of the world on himself, spiritually, on the cross, actually happened. And I believe one of the reasons Jesus makes it so profoundly in your face is because we need to be reminded that receiving Christ is not casual. Yes, it can only be received, so our job is just say yes, but it is costly. It was sacrificial, this price that was paid so we could freely receive this gift. And it has become our salvation, our healing, our righteousness, our contentment, our hope, and our future. But it's not casual, it's costly. And look what happened on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, Jesus. Who can accept this? And note what it says there. Many of his disciples, these are men and women that have said, Jesus, you are my rabbi. I want to follow you. They have followed him to a certain point, And now he's saying this, and they're saying, this is a hard teaching. I don't know if I can accept this. Have you ever felt that while reading scripture? Probably. Have you ever felt that when God was, through his spirit, speaking something directly into your life that just felt like maybe too big of a surrender or too tough of a pill to swallow, and you've just wondered, I don't know if I can accept this. And then Jesus, aware that his disciples were grumbling, he said, does this offend you? Now, look at me for a second. Jesus never asks these questions because he doesn't know. He asks them so that we can figure out what's in our own heart. And he's helping his disciples right here realize that they're offended by him. We're not quick to say, Jesus, you've offended me. But he asked them, have I offended you? And the spirit of God might even be questioning you with that today. I don't know what's happening in your heart. I don't know what kind of wrestling match is going on with his word or what he's doing in your life. But he might just say to you, hey, am I offending you? And he's asking that to his disciples right here. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. These words are full of the Spirit and life, yet some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And that's why he said that no one can come unless the Father has enabled them. And in verse 66, we see a tragic line. From this time, many of who? 
his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, a clarifying point. Sometimes we think Jesus just had 12 disciples, depending on how you were taught as a kid or what your understanding was. He had the 12 disciples that we also call apostles that he selected to walk closely with him. He had three within those 12 that he selected to walk even closer with him. Then he had dozens and dozens of other disciples that followed him around everywhere. These were all disciples of Jesus. So in other words, these are all people just like us that have said, I'm going to be a disciple and are now turning away. So number four, it's a sobering truth. It is possible to be a disciple of Jesus, but then stop following him because it's hard to accept what he says to you. Have you ever had those times in life where you just feel like you're hitting a wall? I don't think they happen very often. Of course, we run into frustrations a lot. We have challenges. We have trials of many kinds constantly. But I'm talking about those, those seasons or moments of life that stand out and you hit a wall that so disorients you that it makes you question everything about who you are, everything that you believe, and makes you think, I might have to be one of these disciples that turns away right now because I do not know how to accept what is happening here. I've been there. Some of you might be there right now. And this whole encounter is that strong of a reality for some of these disciples that are turning away. Let me assure you, even when you're hitting walls that seemingly are disproving your faith. Like things are happening in your life that are making you say, I no longer can believe this about God. How could this possibly be true? This is a hard thing to accept. Those moments are gifts because on one hand, they retrain your mind about what is actually true of God. We're often holding to things and expecting certain things to happen that are not like promises of God. So they help us discern what we're really holding on to. They also help us sort through, are we willing to continue to follow Jesus when it costs a lot? And when it doesn't seem to make sense, it doesn't seem to be an immediate blessing. Again, if I was Jesus' PR guy, I'm thinking, you just had 20,000 yesterday. Now you're losing some of your closest disciples. Stop saying stuff like that. And in church, we, we work our hardest to never offend people. We try so hard. Don't never, of course, we don't ever want to needlessly offend people, but let's just be honest. The gospel is offensive. It is always offensive, especially when you haven't received it yet. Much like the hard things that God speaks to us. Have you ever noticed that? When you're first grappling with it, before you've just said yes and surrendered, these things are so hard to grapple with. But once you say yes and surrender, they become life. That's why scripture says that to those who are perishing, this message is like the stench of death. Which when you, that's another hard part of scripture that when you read it, you're like, What? The good news is supposed to be a stench of life to those that are perishing. But there is this reality that when you are rejecting it, it's confusing, it's angering, and it doesn't smell good. And you're pushing it away. But as soon as you humble yourself, even an iota, and begin to receive it, it becomes the fragrance of life. And this is what's going on here. These disciples are turning back, and it says they no longer followed if you look at stats, there will be plenty of people in this room that no longer follow him at some point in their life. If you look at the stats, there will be youth that are middle schoolers and high schoolers that are up there right now getting trained that will no longer follow him at some point in their life. 
And I'm not saying that as like a declaration. Obviously, we want to buck those trends as much as possible by the power of God. We want to see lifelong followers of Jesus. But if we want to see lifelong followers of Jesus, we have to pastor people and communicate to people in a way that they understand you're going to run into things so hard to accept from Jesus at times that you're going to be tempted to just walk away. You have to stay in those moments. You have to invite God's presence in to those moments to help you. I find myself doing this on a regular basis. I'm hitting something I don't understand. I can't figure out. This is a frustration. Why does this keep happening? Holy Spirit of God, I welcome you into this moment. What are you saying to me here? That can be a hard thing in scripture. That can be a hard situation in your life. Make that your habit. Then this tender, beautiful moment happens, which we're gonna close with in verse 67. Jesus asks his disciples a question he already knows the answer to but he asks for their sake, and I believe he would ask you. You do not want to leave too, do you? Is what he says. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, if you've at some point in your life radically encountered the risen Christ, the person of Jesus, you have come to a place where at some point you could say, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah, the living God. That means at some point you tasted these words that lead to life. How many would say, you've, you've tasted that, you've believed it, you've cast your life upon it, but you might right now need to return to that. Because the wrestling in your heart, the wrestling in your mind, the wondering if you're gonna stay or go, the things that you're challenged with, these hard things to accept, will completely take over if you let them. You need to return, and the way you return is you do what Peter said. We believe that the words of life come from you, Jesus. Where else am I gonna go? I genuinely believe this in my life. I don't know if this will encourage you or discourage you that this is what your pastor would say, but I've had times in my life, even when I'm in vocational ministry, where I'm wrestling with something so deeply that I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't know what is going on. And you know what I hold to? I'm arrested by the words that lead to life. I've actually received, I've actually tasted, I've actually seen, I remember. I mean, it is transformative. It changes everything. And that's actually true. And it calls you back. And you will have others turn away and stop following. You will sometimes have loved ones turn away and stop following. And hopefully they'll return again. I mean, that's our prayer, of course. I've had multiple pastor friends of mine that I've had to be heartbroken over that I've watched completely lose everything and lose their faith. We have stories all the time about people in the news that are sabotaging what God has done through them and leaving the faith. And we have to talk about this in church because it's easy when you're in church. It's easy when we're singing. It's easy when we're here together and all excited and high-fiving each other. It's not always easy on Monday morning. It's not always easy on Friday night. It's not always easy a year from now. It's not always easy when you hit that wall. So I want you to expect this in your walk with the Lord. Expect to have seasons that are that hard but expect to return to the words of life. Make, the, make to the words of life. Make the pre-decision. And here's the closing principle. 
Even the hard words of Jesus are the words of eternal life. Do not run from them. Even the hardest things. Take God for his full word, the full counsel of God. Seek God for everything he wants for you. It's a hard prayer to pray, but if you, God, I want everything you want for me. That means you're welcoming that corrective voice. That means you're saying, I want to be disciplined because I'm one that God loves as a son and a daughter. As the worship team comes, I want to share a story that I've shared before, but it so well illustrates this. It was receiving the hard words of Jesus through a loved one in my life that caused me to even meet Jesus and changed my life forever. And I just want to submit to you that it may be the hardest words of Jesus to you that are going to change your life the most. It was my dad in my life. It, sometimes it's a little harder to receive the words of Jesus when they're through another person. Anybody? Yeah? I was a 16, 17-year-old kid. I would have called myself a Christian. I had been baptized. I was a pastor's kid, four generations back pastor's kid on my mom's side. I knew the part. I was doing it. I wasn't a total fake. I had some kind of just, you know, very surfacey relationship with God. I wasn't like full out rebellion, but I wasn't like in love with Jesus, living out the call of God in my life. I was completely consumed with one thing, me, right? And, and what my life was going to be and what my future was going to be like, like all of us, many of us were at that age. And I had a youth pastor who saw a leadership calling on my life, started investing into it, which was great, and then tried to make me a leader in, the, in this youth ministry. My dad was the executive pastor at that church, saw what was happening, and this is outside of what my dad ever does. He's so encouraging, he's so affirming, but he sat me down in my room and he said, Nathan, I'm glad Pastor James sees this in you. I see it in you too, but it doesn't match up with your life yet, so you tell him or I'm gonna. And I was like, What? And that was so unusual for my dad that it was like Thor's hammer crushing me. It was unbelievable. And I, as I reflect on it, at first I was confused, which is usually what happens with the hard words from Jesus. You're confused. Why would you say that? What's going on? And then you know what it usually quickly turns into? Anger or being defensive. And that's what I did. I was confused. And then I was angry. I was like, how could my dad possibly say that? What is his problem? He's supposed to be... A Christian, I've heard all these sermons. What is he doing? Then, if it's really something that the Lord is doing, once you embrace it, it leads to the most life change you'll ever experience in your life. That was the catalyst for me realizing, oh my goodness, there's something more to this. And for the first time in my life, I became an honest seeker of the living God. And when you become an honest seeker of the living God, he transforms your life. It changes you forever. So don't run from the hard words. Don't run from the hard moments. Embrace them. So Lord, our prayer today is to just say yes to whatever you're speaking to us. We thank you for what this text teaches us. It articulates in this very costly way the good news of Jesus Christ that changes us. And there may be those here that don't know this good news yet or haven't said yes to it. In church or friend, if that's you today, just pray in your heart with me. I, I don't fully know this, but I want to accept this life that you offer me, Lord. Even though this is a hard teaching, this is a hard saying, this is difficult to accept, I believe in you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. 
I understand you're talking about spiritual things of which the stakes are very high. You have loved me so very much that you would pay so high a price. So I just wanna say yes to it. I wanna say yes. And you might be a Christian today who's just been trying to follow Jesus all on your own strength and kind of like trying to achieve what you can only receive, trying to earn it, and in doing so, devaluing what Jesus did. You might just need to come back and say, Lord, forgive me for trying to run in my own strength so much to fulfill my call in my own strength, to, to get close to you in my own strength. I just, I just sit back into the glad surrender of saying yes to you again to remain in you through your shed blood and broken body. I say yes to it. And we confess our need. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. Church, as we respond, you can come to these altars. They're open. You can make an altar at your seat. You can stand. You can sit. But let's, let's say yes to him. Let's ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? What have you called me to do about it? This is what God wants us to do in those moments. And let me, a closing thought that I wanna encourage you with, and then I'll pray a benediction. When we're praying, Lord, I need you, and we're crying out to him, did you know that we're also praying we need each other? Because did you know that one of the primary ways we come to know Jesus and actually walk with him is through his body? <laughs> we are the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. So you might need to grab the hand of Jesus, and it's gonna be the hand of the person sitting behind you right now. Are you tracking with me? And I wanna encourage you. You may have been on the fence as far as your wholeheartedness before God and your wholeheartedness within a church family for various reasons. We get hurt in churches, it's relationships. There can be sharp edges. I understand that, I've been there. But we need each other. And God has called you to wholeheartedly pursue Him and wholeheartedly walk with a church family, which is part of walking with him. And I don't know for sure that this is your church family. I would love it to be. You'll definitely be welcome here. But if it's gonna be your church family, I wanna just put a little fire under your butt. Don't wait for someone else to connect you to the body of Christ, your church family. Only you can make priority can make connection a priority. Like it doesn't matter how good our systems for connection are. It doesn't matter how much we follow up. It doesn't matter how much we do this or that or whatever. It's all good and fine. But only you can prioritize connection to the body of Christ in your life. And I just wanna encourage you to do it. And it's not just when we're gathered, it's when we're scattered. And I'm grateful for you. Do not quit. Do not run because it's hard to accept what Jesus is saying. Do not run because you're in a tough season. Do not run because something seems impossible. You can be a lifelong follower of Jesus, flourishing to the end, ending stronger than you started. You can do that. That's what God has called you to. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.